Since we last spoke, the Grizzlies have lost a couple more games. They did win one, though, so that's exciting, right? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what's to come in a very busy week and a tough, tough matchup in the middle of the week as they go on the road. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss some words from Chris Wallace that a little touchy, maybe a little candor from Chris. All of that and a little bit more. You are Locked on Grizzlies. Locked on Grizzlies, your daily Memphis Grizzlies podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Locked on Grizzlies for this Monday. My name is Peter Edmiston. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, you can hear me on terrestrial radio 7 to 10 every morning here in Memphis on Sports 56 WHBQ and 87.7 FM. You can occasionally read what I have to write at the Commercial Appeal. You can also see me on Twitter at Peter Edmiston. been covering the Grizzlies for nigh on, what, 15 years now almost? Basically, since they've been in uh, in Memphis, uh, it doesn't feel like that long, but uh, but it is. So, thank you for joining me as part of this podcast. And uh, before I get too deep into the discussion, I want to thank you for a couple things. For number one, for your patience, because I know last week uh, I was unable to do the shows for Thursday and Friday because of our radiothon, and you know it is it's so it's tough on the radio side. It's a logistical, it's just crazy because we're there for, you know, the better part of always was 11 hours plus. Um, and, you know, it's, this is kind of my baby. We do a radiothon every year to raise money and to collect toys for, uh, toys for tots here in the Memphis area, as I talked about last week. Some of you guys came out, which I appreciate. It was great to see you guys on site for the radiothon. And uh, I am happy to say that we did extremely well, raised a, an awful lot of money. And uh, got so many toys that we kind of overwhelmed the Marines who were out there in the warehouse that they were taking it to. And we had to actually cut off uh, collection for just a little bit, at least cut off the collection that went to the Marine warehouses. All, all the toys you know, were on site. But the uh, first time we've ever had to do anything like that. So it was really, really neat to see the response. Thank you guys, though, for your patience in uh, the fact that I, that I wasn't able to do the podcast on those days because it just was too, too much other stuff. But I think you understand, um, you know, that it was (laughs) priorities being what they are. Uh, it was, it was a very good thing. So uh, thank you for, for that. And we are back in business uh, as we uh, approach Christmas, uh, happy Hanukkah to, uh, our Jewish listeners out there as well. I know you're in the midst of all of that. So, uh, it, it is a busy time. Grizzlies, since we last spoke, couple of losses, one very um, ugly, not overly impressive, but hey, it's a win. Uh, there, there was that mixed in on Friday night. Then you had losses to Washington and Boston. No real shock there. And the Grizzlies sit at 9-21 and 21 at this point. Now, you know, you, you, you kind of have to look at the the season and, and figure out what it, what is it exactly that you want from from this year what is it that you're looking for because as we discussed last week you know, I, I've I'm of the opinion I was before and certainly am now that this is a season to tank and frankly to just go nuts and just to re rebuild 
trade, do what you can, start fresh, you know, bearing in mind that it's going to be very difficult to move guys. I, I don't, I don't think, you know, I, I don't, I don't make any, uh, I don't have any illusions about how difficult it's going to be to, to make some of these moves. But when you watch this team play and you see the fact that they have reeled off now three quarters in the last week of games in which they scored 12 points or less. They've had four of those this year. They've only been 21 in the NBA, and the Grizzlies have four of them, and, and you, Grizzly fans, have had the privilege of watching three of them in the last week. There's only so much you can do to overcome that. If you're going to throw out you know that kind of garbage, if you're going to puke out a quarter where you know you're you're barely pushing the double digit mark and at times didn't get to the double digit mark you're not winning games this offense has been brutal absolutely brutal it wasn't great before david fisdale was fired it has been horrendous since and mark gasol has only limited ability to change that tyreek evans has only limited ability to change that the Grizzlies just don't have enough good players and don't have a system that works. Uh, there's a lot wrong with, with what they're doing right now. Knowing all that and knowing that you, you saw, for example, in the game against Boston, they, they open up down 31-12 after the first quarter, come back, uh, actually you know make a decent run at it, and then get overwhelmed in a two-minute stretch in the early fourth quarter to end up, you know, losing the game pretty easily in the end. It was a fairly comfortable loss. It, it, you know, an outside observer might even have thought that they would, they were perfectly happy to lose given the way that they had some empty possessions and gave up some quick points to the Celtics. Um, but within that game, you saw something that, again, whether you, if it's, it's one of those glass half full glass, half empty kind of deals. It's all on how you want to look at it. Um, but something happened that I think is is interesting in light of what we've been discussing. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But let me tell you first about my bookie, because you know, holiday cash is vital right about now. You need it. I know where you can get it. My bookie is the place to score serious cash on your sports predictions. Believe it or not, holidays are here. And that means plenty of parties, gifts, and spending, and lots and lots of football, basketball. Heck, there's hockey games, too. You could score big on every day. Play like the pros on game day. You can play the money line, side, or total. My bookie is your hookup for all your betting needs and offers super fast payouts when you win. Where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And if you want to make money betting the games, you got to go to mybookie.ag mybookie.ag. I trust them, but look, you don't have to take my word for it. Check them out yourself. They have odds on every matchup and a mobile site that makes wagering on your smartphone a breeze. And if you join now, my bookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. That's right. They will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Visit mybookie.ag mybookie.ag and use promo code locked on that's right promo code locked on to get that 50 percent 
bonus when you make that first deposit. Again, that's mybookie.ag. Play like the pros. Get yourself a little holiday cash with mybookie.ag. So in that Boston game, you saw, well, the best of Mark and uh, the worst of Mark. Well, not the worst of Mark. The worst of Mark was first half of the Atlanta game where he didn't score. Remarkable. How that happens, hard to envision. But in the Boston game, not a whole lot going on from Mark in the first half. And then he explodes in the third quarter with a 21-point third, including four of five from behind the arc. Mark scoring, you know, when he really cranks out big number scoring, typically it's associated with him hitting threes. That's that's where his scoring has increasingly come from as he's aged, gotten older, and, and become more proficient and uh, more open to taking those threes. Um, so he scores 21 points in that third quarter, plays the entire third quarter, then just two points in the fourth, both at the foul line, didn't hit a shot in the fourth quarter. Part of that was, of course, because he played the entire third quarter, and that stretch where he didn't play was just, that was it for the Grizzlies, um, you know, in the fourth. But this 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 raises more questions. You know, to me, the discussion about Mark, listen, we can get we can get into it. We can go up and down, back and forth, like we always do on this whole thing with Mark. And I, I think we all know Mark's a good player. Mark's a good player. But there's always been a lot of people who will make excuses about why Mark can't be more assertive offensively, why certain things just have to be right for Mark to do his thing. He's got these like an artist, man. He's got to have everything just right. Like a famous director, man. He's got to have this. He's got to have that. The lighting's got to be right. The personnel's got to be right. The the staging has to be right. It's got to be perfect. And if it's not, Mark can't play. There's a lot of people making a lot of excuses, including Mark sometimes, for the way that, that Mark plays. I think Mark is a super talented player. Don't get me wrong. But when you see him throw out performances like that, when you see his ability to crank out a 21-point quarter, not saying that he's going to do that every time, but that just tells you it's there. And it was there with the group that he's playing with. It's not like they imported a new group of players for that third quarter. Same group, same guys, same personnel, same everything. He just performed. He went out and shot those threes. They played a little bit faster. He was a little more assertive out there. He did those things, and this is one of the best defenses in the league in Boston. This is not chopped liver. It's possible. So for him to do that, to me, is almost an indictment. It's almost an indictment on the rest of the time to say, where, where's that been? Why couldn't you crank out, uh, I don't know, 10-point quarter more often, 12-point quarter every now and then, 20-point games. He finishes with 30 and 10 in this ball game in what many are saying is a an audition for Danny Ainge. Well, if it was, it was a very prominent one and probably a very eye-opening one. 30 and 10, but where has that been? 
Where was that earlier? Why does it come out so sporadically? To me, that's the indictment. That's, you know, we always talked about those of us that have been around and covered the team back when when they were, you know, really bad and they were just consistent lottery teams, you know, 25-win team, that kind of thing. We would always say, you know, bad teams have no problem getting up to play good teams. Typically, bad teams can play and tend to play well, especially at home, against uh, really good teams. Bad teams don't don't have a problem with that. It's the, it's the consistent motivation of playing against the, you know, okay teams and the bad teams and the all the other teams in the NBA that aren't as prominent as a team like the Celtics. Those are the ones that can get you. And you saw the effort against the Hawks. I mean, it was self-evident. Even though they won the game, it was a terrible game. I mean, is Mark that kind of a player where, you, you know, you only get up for the big ones? And against the Hawks, you go through and you don't even score in the first half of the game? I mean, is is that is that what you're dealing with? Because that's not a superstar. Yeah, that's not a franchise guy. So to me, it's a little bit of an indictment. Like, I get it. I get, I get the performance, and it's good for him, and it's good for the Grizzlies, you know, if for no other reason than at least as a trade value situation. It, it gives you a little... A little pop, but um, it, it does to me highlight where the problem has been, and makes me ask the question: Why? Why didn't you see that more often? Why? Why can't you fire off a few more of those? Why is that so hard? Why are there always excuses? Here's one for you: Why this year? And this is through the entire year. This is not specifically related to, you know, the firing of David Fisdell and the, the last 11 games they played under J.B. Bickerstaff. This is the entire season. Why is it that the Grizzlies' defensive rating as a team is 105.6? It's points allowed per 100 possessions. Not great. When Marcus Gasol is on the floor, their defensive rating is actually 108 this year, so actually it's a three points higher than average. And why is it that when Mark is on the bench, that number drops to 97.9? 97.9 points allowed per 100 possessions. So that's for the entire season now. If Mark is a stellar defensive player, and I went back and looked at, at his entire career to see if this was you know, something that happened, if this was a, a normal thing, if Mark's defense is just so magical that it can't be tracked properly. No, that's not the case. This is a very much an aberration with Mark. You saw it starting last year, but it has really ballooned this year. I mean, there is no question statistically the Grizzlies are significantly worse defensively with Mark Gasol on the court than when he's off the court. The same is true with Jermichael Green, which is part of the issue that you're starting four and five or two of your worst statistical defensive players on the floor. Um, you know, there there are any number of reasons why you want to throw that out there, but it is a fact. And these are guys that were extremely good as early as, I mean, in the case of Jermichael Green last year, you know, Mark wasn't quite as good last year, but... It was only a couple of years ago, two or three, that, you know, prior to his injury, especially that he was really good. So maybe the injury took it out of him. 
Maybe the style of the NBA has changed so quickly that he has been unable to adapt. There are any number of things that could explain it. I don't know, but I do know it's a real thing. And this is all the stuff I bring on this up because you're going to have to trade this guy probably at some point. And this is who you're this is what you're dealing with. This is what teams are looking at. What you're looking at, if you look at it, if you take the situation out of it, if you just look at it dispassionately, you are getting a soon to be 33-year-old who has responded very well to the broken foot, but still has that broken foot on his record whose team has not responded well at all to him as the leader based on this situation, who has a defensive rating that has continued to balloon over the last couple of seasons, whose offense is increasingly dependent on his shot, whose post-performance has dwindled considerably and who, oh, by the way, last but certainly not least, has the reputation for being a coach killer. You have all of that working now in addition to the fact that he's got a a pretty sizable contract. That makes it very, very hard to see where value is going to come in. Mark is definitely a good player. Definitely a good player, but when you are selling that version, this version of Mark that we see right here, it is not as simple a sell. Even if you take the money, let's just say you just take the money out of it, I still think just purely from a value standpoint, you're not going to get what you would expect. You're not going to get what you would have gotten even last year for Mark based on all this. And, you know, the Grizzlies... You know, there, there are a lot of things that they have to deal with, that they are dealing with, and this is just another one. Even in the case of, of trading him, what are you actually going to get? What are these trades? I, I see this, like Brooklyn picks, there's just no way. That's not happening. And even even taking into account the fact that Brooklyn pick is not nearly as as, as good of a lottery chip as it was thought to be a year ago, even taking that into effect, no, I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. I don't think you're getting that from Mark. I really don't. Um, even if you were to just wipe out all the other salary stuff, I think the value is not, not, not out there, which complicates things for the Grizzlies tremendously. Because if you want to tank, you want to go ahead and and get rid of Mark. You want to go ahead and try to get some value. You want to try to start, turn this page, get moving in, in a different direction. So there is that. There is you know, Mike Conley. When will he come back? Uh, Mike, for what it's worth, is looking better and better as a result of all of this because since he's been gone, this whole thing has gone completely down the toilet. And he wasn't even playing well this year, but apparently he was keeping this whole thing together. Because since he's been gone, the whole thing has just gone completely haywire. 
Coach is gone. Players are going crazy. The team's lost five million games. Mike was the guy. Mike apparently was much better than any of us <laughs> gave him credit for. Because he kept this whole thing together. So he's earning that giant paycheck. If for no other reason than people saying, my God. It's like playing Jenga. You take him out and the whole thing just... There it goes. The man who signed him to that contract, Chris Wallace, he was a little vocal. He was getting after it. I ran to Chris. He was kind enough to come out to our charity event, which I appreciate Chris doing that. Brought some tickets that we auctioned off. Very good. So thank you very much to Chris for that. However, Chris was interviewed by Ron Tillery, the Q&A appeared over the weekend in the commercial appeal. We'll talk a little bit about some of the comments that that Chris made uh, here in a moment. Before we get into what Chris Wallace had to say uh, over the weekend, give you a quick little statistical update of where things are for the Grizzlies right now. Uh, Over the last 11 games, so J.B. Bickerstaff's uh, time, time since they replaced uh, David Fisdale, Grizzlies are 29th in offensive rating. 27th in defensive rating, 30th in net rating, obviously 2-9 and nine record-wise. They're 30th in assist-to-turnover ratio, 29th in a turnover percentage. You have to kind of look uh, long and hard to find some things that are positive. They are uh, very much last in pace. Uh, that has been the case for, um, you know, basically since, since JB took over, and they are comfortably last in pace. Again, much, much lower than the second-to-last to team in pace. That would be the, the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, the Grizzlies playing at 92 possessions per 48 minutes. Dallas at uh, 94.7. Oh, and uh, it kind of goes up from there. But but the, the difference, that, that two-and-a-half possession difference, just to give you an idea, between the Grizzlies and the Mavericks, 30th and 29th, is the same as the uh, difference between the Mavericks in 29th and the Nuggets, for example, who are in 19th. So 10 spots up, that's, the, that's what you're dealing with. That's how, that's how far off the, the, the pace norms the Grizzlies happen to be. It doesn't get much better when you look at the uh, other statistics as well. There's just not much to, to get real pumped about. Um, and as things have, have gone pretty pretty bad, uh, pretty quickly for this team, and so you know you would you would take those numbers and you would say, all right, well, you would take those numbers. You would say you've got the Golden State game on the horizon. You'd say it's probably not going to get a lot better. Um, wh- what's the plan for this season? And that's where one of the questions that Ron Tillery posed to Chris Wallace in a Q and A in the commercial appeal that was published over the weekend. Some of the things that were notable. Uh, in this, I think it was it was more of a candid Chris Wallace to to some extent. I mean, that is a very again very limited <laughs> kind of description because Chris is a master of saying a lot of words and not saying anything at all with those words. So he did have a few things that were were notable. When he was asked what's realistic for the season, he said, let's see how soon we can get Mike and Wayne Selden back in here and playing up to par. 
and also get Brandon Wright back and everyone together and see where we go from here. The season isn't lost. The record isn't one we expected. We have to own it, but the season isn't even at the halfway point yet. I'm an optimist every year. I operate by the adage that as long as you're alive, you're not dead. I don't think the Grizzlies are dead this year. Then the question came up, can you understand why people believe Marcus Gasol is labeled a coach killer based on the timing of Fisdale's firing? The answer, Mark's not a coach killer. The perception is not true. Mark is as competitive as he's ever been when he walked through the door here 10 years ago. He's done everything he can to help pull us out of the position we're in. I don't buy that coach killer label. He was then asked, why did the organization fire Fisdale just hours after Gasol's rant? He said, uh, Chris Wallace said, in our judgment, it was time to make that move. We're here every day. We understood going in that we weren't going to reel off 10 straight wins with that schedule. We want, we want to win games, but I want to see improvement. I want to see the team continue to move forward. He was then asked, didn't anyone in the front office think it would create the perception that Mark was instrumental in, in firing the coach? He says, I can't control the perception of the outside world. That perception is not accurate. At this point in time, we felt the at that point in time rather, we felt the move had to be made. There's still a significant amount of time to change the direction of the season. Uh, so to, to comment on, on on that whole situation, now, first of all, uh, with regard to the season, sure, technically the season is not is not dead. Technically, um, but for all intents and purposes, it is going to require far too much for the Grizzlies to have any possibility of making a playoff run. I mean, you have to remember that at this point now, you've got 30 games that are in the books. So in order for you to get yourself and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, when you start doing the actual math on what it takes to get from 9-21 and to you know, somewhere north of 500, it is extremely difficult. You know, you've got 52 games left to play. So you take those nine, 32 of those games, you know, 32 games gets you to, 32 wins rather gets you to, to 500. So you got to win 32 out of those 52 games, 32 and 20. Not easy. That gets you to 500. That's probably not going to get you in the playoffs. It might. Some years it does. But I'm going to say chances are probably not. So then you start getting into the 35 and 17 range. Um, it's It just becomes really tough when you start looking at outcomes over 500. You've got to put up pretty insane winning percentages the rest of the way for a team that doesn't look anywhere close to capable of that. The math doesn't add up. So, you know, publicly you could say what you want, but, I mean, the reality is this this thing is, is going to be tough. And now, especially owning your pick, and especially with this draft being what it is, the obvious solution is to just tank it and to figure out where you're going to go from there. I get that Chris doesn't want to say that publicly, but that's that's the the obvious solution. As far as the stuff about... Uh, firing um, Fisdale and the timing of all that. I mean, I, the, the explanation, there is no explanation. It doesn't make sense. There's no explanation because there's no explanation that could make sense. There's no reason that they had to fire him at that point. We've talked about this before. And clearly the reaction of the team 
is is not anything that has given a lot of inspiration to the move. It's not really been a big thumbs up to the move, considering that that the performances have gotten worse. Um, so there was no reason to do it. There was no reason to do it then, especially, and you know, particularly given the timing of it. If Mark didn't specifically call for it, then there was no reason and no advantage to them to make Mark look that way. So the, you know, I, I just think Chris, this is what I'm talking about. I mean, the guy is a master of evasive maneuvers and just kind of gliding past the question without actually answering it. Then he got a little controversial, I guess, to some extent at the end when he was asked about his job, and he says, uh, I understand why fans are frustrated now. Hell, I'm more frustrated than they are. But I don't think my time has come and gone. I presided over the best run in the history of this franchise. That window was still very much open at the beginning of the year. I don't see what's changed. We've got a roster that when we're healthy and everything is clicking, we're athletic, more versatile, and more talented on the perimeter than we've been in years. I don't see how you say that our time has passed as a team or my time has passed as a lead basketball executive. Again, this is a very generous read from Chris about himself. Uh, I don't know what window he's talking about. The last two years, this team has been a 43 and a 42 win team. Um, with the obvious extenuating circumstances two years ago. This team has won one playoff series since they went to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand what window you're you're talking about there I, I don't really I don't really get that um, and again not to belabor the point but for Chris you can only live off of what happened eight years ago for so long all the successes have come back in 09 essentially Tony Allen Marcus Saul as part of the Zebo deal or as part of the uh, Palgasol deal that ended up in you know indirectly giving you the cap space, which then allowed you to get the Zebo deal done. All that stuff was great. It was eight years ago. What has happened since then? What did you do to supplement that core? Um, so it's a long time to live live on that that stuff. Um, and you know if you're a coach and that's what you've done, you had one run you know eight years ago, and you really haven't done anything since. You're going to get fired. That's the nature of the business. So I, I don't I don't I don't buy it from Chris. Last thing that he says, which you know, again, I, I think you could probably I I could find it insulting if I wanted to. I think it's probably not really intended that way. Um, he says he was asked about if it hurts, based on his history in Memphis and with the core four and the grit and grind and all that stuff. He says. Uh, I don't worry about stuff I can't control. I've had a very satisfying but wild ride in this business over 30 years. If I was going to sit down and get depressed over every article or talk show call or interaction in the street when somebody's questioning you, then I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. It detracts from your focus and energy in doing the job. I separate the public perception from the task at hand. Nothing is going to be said or written about me more negative than what's been in the past. I love Memphis, but the media in Memphis is not comparable to Boston. It's just not the same. The fan reaction in sports media Bermuda Triangle is Boston, Philadelphia, and New York. 
When you've worked in any of those three cities, there's not a lot that's going to phase you in other places. Now, a less generous read of that is basically you're all a bunch of rubes. <laughs> and the, the fans and media in other markets suck compared to Boston, Philly, New York. They're not as passionate. They're not as loud. You can't get intimidated because I've been and seen all these tough guys and whatever. That's a, you know, that would be a less generous read. A more generous read would say, uh, you know, there's a lot more media. They're a lot more aggressive. Memphis is more laid back, which is true. There's not as many, which is true. They're not as aggressive, which is true. So, you know, you could look at it like that if you want. As far as the fans go, I don't, I don't know about bringing the fans into it. Um, but it's an interesting tack to take at this point, going on the offensive a little bit. And, hey, you know what? That's his right. I don't think it's ultimately going to be a real good move for him, but uh, especially given the fact that, you know, if you start poking, this media, I think, has been very compliant. You know, I, I know I've, I've been a vocal detractor for a while. There's not many of us, though. And there have been a lot of people that have for a long time carried water for Chris and made excuses and made a lot of explanations for the guy. You know, I, I, I get the limited involvement that he could have in a organization that's kind of messed up. And, you know, what, what does he really do? And I think that's all fair. But I will repeat it. I will say it over and over again until I'm blue in the face because it is vital. You cannot sell a rebuild to the fans of Memphis if that rebuild is piloted by Chris Wallace. You cannot sell retooling the team if the person who's going to retool the team is Chris Wallace. You can't do it. New blood is needed. A new approach is needed. A new way of thinking is needed. What has happened, it's been over the course of lots of different owners, different coaches, all that stuff. The one guy who is constant is Chris Wallace. It's time for a change, as we've said. And I'm glad that Chris doesn't get upset when we call for that. <laughs> because, you know, we're not Boston or New York or whatever. So I'm glad he doesn't get upset about it and doesn't take it personally. That's the way that it's supposed to be. Tell me what you think. Get in touch on Twitter at Peter Edmiston. You can email me as well. Pedmiston at gmail.com. I imagine we'll have some interesting things to discuss on tomorrow's show. We'll get into those tomorrow. But for now, I'll say thank you very much for listening. Have yourself a great Monday. We'll talk again here on Locked on Grizzlies.